This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest wi-fi access for customers bt's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy whatever your business bt's got your back search bt's got your back hello this is the red box podcast i'm matt Cholly, bringing you the best of my times radio show you can listen live monday to thursday 10 till 1 on times radio on your dab radio on your smart speaker or on the times radio app a piece of cake, just download that. But uh, you're here for the best bits, which is important. First of all, though, hello to Harry. He got in touch to say he mainly listens to the podcast when I'm running around Devon, logging my weekly miles. So hello to Harry. If you want to get in touch and say hello, then I can say hello back to you, and then we'll continue this loop. Uh, you can email me, matt.chorley at times.radio. Uh, let us know where you listen to the podcast. It'd just be nice to hear from you. Right, uh, coming up, it's Wednesday. Uh, they're back from their Easter recess, so we've got PMQs unpacked. Tim Shipman joining me to pause the action live from the House of Commons to explain what on earth is going on between Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer. That's coming up. But first, as ever, we kick off with our columnist panel. It's Wednesday, so it must be Crampon. It's Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson. Let's uh, kick off with um, lobbying, Greens Hill, civil servants, what on earth is going on? Uh, the government admitting yesterday that Bill Crothers, one of the Britain's most senior civil servants, was given permission to work part-time as a director at Greens Hill Capital while he was also working in Whitehall. I mean, at least, at least David Cameron left number 10 before uh, taking up a, a, another job. I suppose the big question about all of this, uh, Alice and Robert, is um, does anyone care... Is this likely to have any political impact? What do you think, first of all, Alice? I think people do care, but also I think the government rather likes this in some ways because it's deflecting away from Boris Johnson. It's it's David Cameron who looks the baddie, who looks as if he couldn't control himself. He actually just wanted the cash. Um, he's the sort of slightly more sleazy one. And I think to that extent, number 10 aren't going to be too worried about it because they are distanced from it. But it does look that picture in the desert with the Saudi <laughs> prince with them both is just astonishing. You're looking at them thinking, how did you do this? I mean, David Cameron, you talked about lobbying. You talked about the rules. You prided yourself on being a safe pair of hands. That was your great ability. You were a good prime minister. As you said you knew how to do it. You obviously didn't really. And the th- I mean, the th- on, on, on that specific uh, point, there is this part of me that think it's just sort of a bit demeaning that a former prime minister was sort of reduced to a bit sitting in his shepherd's hut texting former colleagues who then basically ignored him on the hope of uh, a big payday later on. Well, what, do you, what do you think of it, Robert? 
Well, I mean, you said, does anybody care? I mean, I care. I was thinking, uh, I mean, I did politics A-level, I mean, many, many years ago. And one of the sort of staples of that was the incorruptibility and the independence of the British civil service uh, following reforms in the 19th century. And we were all sort of very smug about this. I remember writing essays about it. And, and uh, we're still smug about it, aren't we? When we talk, when we when we kind of think about, oh, we talk about Italy or France and how there's there's kind of corruption in those countries. And and now we have a situation where you've got a guy working for a private company, then they've got a desk in each other's office, as far as I can see. I mean, the Greensill has got a desk in the cabinet office, and Crothers has got a desk in the <laughs> in the the private finance office, and. Talk about a revolving door. I mean, there used to be a situation where civil servants got rich after they'd retired. Yeah, it was all a bit unseemly and a little bit. Uh, it wasn't a good look always, particularly with uh, in the Ministry of Defence. You know, people went off and gone to the boards of defence companies. But at least they had their career, and they did, and they weren't in and out of a, a private industry in the meantime. Uh, but now that's and I'm, I'm I didn't know this was going on. Uh, I'm amazed. I mean, and I think I think most people will be. I mean, I think they will care. I mean, unfortunately, it will just it will just add to the whole air of cynicism and uh, around around the, the political culture, won't I, it? I was just trying to think what the metaphor because the revolving door at least suggested they left one bit to revolve into the other. Yes, but they're sort of more like standing in the doorway. Well, uh, it's just one, one foot in each. Here and a, few, a few years here and a few years there, but it was basically one you know one place in the morning, one another in the afternoon. <laughs> it does seem absolutely. I mean, that's what it feels like. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, Cameron, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think Alice is right. I mean, obviously, uh, Boris is, I'm not sure that, about him not caring. I think he'd be delighted. Uh, and well, that's the really interesting thing, isn't it? Is, is the, the Labour Party, and they've tried to do this in lots of ways, whether it's been like uh, on austerity or even, you know, stockpiling PPE or whatever it might be, trying to nail Boris Johnson down and point out that he was, he served in the last uh, Conservative government uh, under Theresa May. He was the Mayor of London uh, popping in for cuppers with David Cameron when he was Prime Minister. You know, he campaigned and yet he somehow managed to draw this line uh, which makes it seem as if he had nothing to do with the previous 10 years of, of Conservative government. I think it is going to be hard for them, though, because I think it's going to come back. I think the idea that they're now going to go through a lot of these civil servants and see what they're doing. And there will be some of Boris Johnson's favourite people who are doing very similar things. That's the problem, that you realise that the line was drawn. And to me, the biggest problem has been the fact that everyone thinks they're not earning very much. So they're all on over 100,000. And yet they feel that somehow they've had to make this huge sacrifice to go and work at number 10, which... You know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, it just wouldn't have happened. It was an honour in itself to be a number 10 and to be running a country. You didn't need to feel that you were going to be earning millions afterwards to have made it worthwhile. You just felt you were right in the heart of government, and that was enough, really. I mean, you know, Sir Humphrey would not have been stuck in his revolving door, would he? And actually, you know, this story probably hasn't had enough coverage, but separately there was a story this week about Eddie Lister, Boris Johnson's top, one of his top advisers in Downing Street, um, who was planning to take a job at Finsbury Glover Herring, whatever, yeah. which apparently is a PR and lobbying <laughs> firm, uh, and right. only turned it down after the Times approached him for comment on it. Uh, and uh, and he's going to carry on as his advisor, um, advisor to the government. So, yeah, it does... It, but again, that's that's because it, oh, I suppose because it's David Cameron. Everyone knows who David Cameron is, and those pictures in the desert look uh, even worse. Um, maybe there's been a bit uh, more focus on that. Um, let's move on, Alice. I want to talk about your column today, where you've a really nice column about um, uh, Shirley Williams. 
Uh, but in but a particular aspect of Shirley Williams and, and the, the act, because people have talked about why didn't she become prime minister? I mean, partly, um, uh, the, you know, not many people do become prime minister. The, you know, there are far more people who, who should have been than actually did. But you, you've zeroed in on a particular aspect that you think is the one explanation as to why she, she didn't reach the highest office. I think partly it must have been the fact that she just was a single mother with a child on her own. And that was really difficult. And when people used to complain, they used to call her the late Shirley Williams because she was always late. And it was always the men that complained about her being late. And she finally turned around and just said, look, who is stocking your fridge? Who is looking after your teenagers? She was on her own. So her husband and her split up. You know, before she spent 10 years really in government and she had very high positions of power, but she couldn't do it. She didn't have a Dennis Thatcher or a Duke of Edinburgh. And that was hard. And it would be hard now as well. I mean, it's just very difficult to juggle, as we all know, in the pandemic, the homeschooling. The... She was trying to do it all on her own. And I think that made it almost impossible for her to jump always and take the big, you know, the big, make the big decisions to go for it. And she does say that it was her home life partly that stopped her a couple of times from going for the leadership as much as anything else. And I think we underestimate just how difficult it was, and it probably still is, for women in you know, CEOs or you know, really top positions. Unless you've got a spouse that's going to be incredibly supportive, it is a really tough job. The other thing that struck me reading uh, Alice's comments today, Bob, it was um, uh, just <clears throat> this idea that in politics, basically no one else is truly on your side in terms of, sort of political colleague, particularly if you're going for the top job because they may well have uh, sides mm. of it themselves. So having one person at home to just reassure you that you're doing the right thing and, you know, yes, you can do it and, yes, you should, you know, push on. Uh, and we've seen that in in so many uh, cases, whether it's Dennis Thatcher, um, uh, Egan or Margaret Thatcher, mm. actually Samantha Cameron doing a similar thing for David Cameron, you know. Well, again, and, and, and Philip May as well. And Philip May doing the same thing. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a slightly more complicated situation for Boris Johnson, mm. obviously. But, I mean, clearly mm. he's been slightly buoyed up recently by having Carrie there telling him, um, you know, what to do and this is the right thing to do and you're the best person for the job and all that sort of thing. And just not having that person at home uh, probably has an impact. Yeah, I mean, we all need that. But I suppose the point is, Alice's point is that uh, you may have that. You may have a perfectly uh, loving spouse. But if you're the one, but if they're sitting there watching the football while you're having to, uh, <laughs> you know, get the get the kids ready for school, uh, or I mean, no, that's the timings are wrong there. But if 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 you know if they, you're stocking the fridge, uh, maybe you are. Maybe that's what goes on in your house, Robert. You're sitting in front mm. of the telly watching football with with, nope. a, with a can of beer uh, at, at the time of the morning school run at eight thirty in the morning. <laughs> so they can be they can be you know perfectly nice nice guys, but if but if if lioness's share of the domestic labour which is as we know still then they're still looking support aren't they in a way that the men might not be it's interesting that it's inter- maybe maybe that in part it also explains why you know because sadly Theresa May couldn't have children maybe that's how she she managed to commit herself fully to the the job of politics in the way that maybe other um female politicians uh, can't um uh, it's a, it's a really interesting i think we might return to that the idea of uh, the importance of the of the political spouse because there've been so many of them but one thing that i think we've spoken many times before about uh is uh, students um mm. and uh universities Thank god they finally said it haven't they i mean we have all been waiting for weeks and weeks well i've been waiting for weeks and weeks <laughs> But it does doesn't get published. No one cares about the students, do but they? But the thing, like, so the thing that amazed me with this is that they've told uh, university students they can go back to uh, university in England from the seventeenth of May, 
after many universities have broken up for the summer. Yeah, I mean, I must say, I'm quite cynical about this. That looks to me like they uh, don't want to have to give refunds for the summer term. So they're going to they're saying, well, you know, you could invite in allowing them to come back for a, a part of it, however negligible. They they're uh, being able to say uh, still collect the money. That's interesting. That's, that's, that's what it looks, that's what it looks like to me. But I mean, also... you'd, let, you'd let them back now, or you'd say start again in the autumn. But but coming back in the middle of May, like when you say a lot of them. I mean, my daughter's sitting her finals in in, in the last week of May. Uh, it's not going to make any much difference to her. She hasn't had access to her uh, college facilities for a long time. Uh, and how will that so, work practically? Is that is will she go back to, to sit her finals, or is that going to be done in your front room? I'm not entirely sure. I'm not. I'm not sure she is yet either. Uh, I think that I think she will sit them at university, but under what circumstances, I don't know. I don't know. And why do you think it is, Alice? Because you've written, a, I know you've written a lot about it, but it just doesn't seem to have taken off in the in the way that, you know, I feel like I've heard more about nail salons uh, not being able to open well, exactly. and not being able to open. Well, I think one vice-chancellor rather brilliantly tweeted the fact that you could actually go now and talk about your dissertation with someone who is giving you a tattoo in a tattoo parlour, <laughs> but you can't go and talk yeah. about it with your tutor. And you're thinking, oh, my God, you know, they have had nothing for a year. So my two eldest, like Robert, are both there. One, the young, the elder one is doing his finals too. And they just have no idea if they're doing them in person or not. They have no idea if they can go back yet, if they need to. They haven't been able to access libraries. They haven't been able to you know, talk to tutors at all, really, a bit online, but it's been difficult. And, and you think, actually, they're all paying this vast amount and they're getting more and more anxious and they're not sure they're going to get a job either afterwards. So... I'm amazed they haven't all kicked up more, actually. I think they've been incredibly restrained. Uh, there's three, there are three million students in Britain. I mean, I wrote, I wrote mm. a leader about this some time ago. So we, we, have, we, have, made a, we have made a bit of an effort on the, on the Times to, uh, to, to raise the plight of students. And I, in researching that leader, I was amazed to find there are three million people in full-time education. I mean, not just, not just at school, but in, I mean, in, in, in you know, tertiary education. Yeah, it does feel like three million people all paying more than £9,000 for a service in which they've been able to sit in their bedrooms and uh, watch things on Zoom. And we, I don't know if you realise we were all in the same position because my uh, stepdaughter's in her first year at university. I'm going to spend mm. the entire year just in Zooms, paying for accommodation that uh, she's then told not to go to, and yeah. never meeting anyone in person. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, if it was any other walk of life, oh. it, would be, um, it would be seen as... Not ideal. Yeah. Um, we've had an email in from uh, Glenn, uh, says, because uh, we were just talking about Shirley Williams, as a secretary to Lord Avebury, that's a good opening to that's a proper Times Radio <laughs> in, uh, opening to an email. As secretary to Lord Avebury, I shared an office with Shirley Williams in the 1990s, and she had so much support from her glamorous personal sis- assistant, who always reminded me of Kate O'Mara. But with her teaching at Princeton and writing, she lived several lives simultaneously, and perhaps she was overstretched. Uh, her book, uh, Politics of People, is still deserves a read. So I think that's that's a nice... Um, uh, it's a good point to make that she, 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 maybe she'd stretched herself a bit thin, but and also it's sort of slightly different that you know her, her moment for becoming prime minister was probably a, a bit, you know, it's why well, it was definitely before she ended up in the House of Lords. Um, uh, yeah, I think, well, I think what's yeah. amazing is that she, you know, she, she did do so much, and the fact that she went to Harvard and she taught at Harvard, if you look at what you know some of these ex-politicians are doing now, she wasn't lobbying, was she? She went and she taught and yeah. she went in there and she campaigned and she just kept going. And in the House of Lords, she was just astonishing. She was very 
you know, pro-European. She was anti you know, the death penalty. She just had an agenda and she never let it go. You know, she was still going to visit prisons. She was still talking to young people. She just, you know, it wasn't about making money for her in the end. It was about trying to broaden her reach and broaden you know, the ideals that she had. And that I think that is commendable, I have to say. Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson, then, of course, you can read them both in The Times every week. Just get yourself a Times digital subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next, it's PMQ's Unpacked. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley. And Tim Shipman. Yes, it's that time of the week where uh, we, we brace ourselves. We adopt the brace position for PMQs. The first time we've had it for, what, three weeks? Tim Shipman's here. Hello. Hello, hello. How is it you? us or is it Boris Johnson adopting the brace position today? Well, quite. Now, it, it, does this feel like one of those... It'll be interesting to see how Keir Starmer does with this because sometimes we, we... I think actually the last one we had before Easter, he, he was quite good. He sort of seemed to mount an argument. Very often, if you think the leader of the opposition has got an open goal, they tend to miss it. Do you think Keir Starmer will miss this one? I don't know. Let's wait and see. But it's it's not straightforward, is it? Because um, uh, Boris Johnson himself is uh, getting people to brief that he's very upset to have discovered all these terrible things that uh, have been going on. Uh, in the previous Conservative government, his old mate David Cameron, Nothing it's to all do his with me. fault. I was down the river at Nothing City Hall. Nothing to see Hall. here, yes. Yeah. I'm frankly shocked to have discovered that senior civil servants were moonlighting uh, with roles in the private sector and ministers were having to take uh, endless WhatsApp messages and phone calls from a former Prime Minister. Not the sort of behaviour I'm sure Boris Johnson would get up to uh, when he leaves Downing Street. Um, so it's it's a tricky one. And the other problem for Labour, of course, is, you know, we've had a lot of lobbying scandals in this country and, shock horror, some of them have involved former Labour members of the Cabinet. So Boris Johnson will have a list of uh, uh, miscreants as long as his arm, which he'll be able to throw back at, at Keir Starmer should he wish to do so. But it's fairly unimaginable uh, to me that Starmer doesn't have a crack at this one. And particularly because in terms of the sort of the political operation of the Labour Party, they've sort of got all their 
uh, ducks in a row. They were out and about on uh, airwaves yesterday. They've got an opposition day debate, as it's called uh, today, where they will hammer the government on this and try and force a vote uh, to, to embarrass the government. And then, you know, you'd expect him to, to use PMQs. Too. Yeah, and there's a guy called Lord Lister, who is one of Boris Johnson's closest aides, who until about two days ago was due to join um, a lobbying company whilst maintaining a government job. So this does reach uh, into number 10 itself. Yeah, and that's probably more embarrassing for Boris Johnson. Right, let's go live to the House of Commons. Keir Starmer, the Labour leader. Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister in his remarks about Dame Cheryl Gillan, um, who I work with on a cross-party basis and remember with fondness, and Ian Gibson, who also passed away this week, both commanded respect on all sides of this House and will be sadly missed. Can I also pay tribute to Shirley Williams? She was a great parliamentarian a formidable minister and cabinet minister. She loved this house, the other place, and frankly anywhere where she could debate ideas and politics. For many years she was Labour's loss. Today she is Britain's loss, and my thoughts are with her family and loved ones. Mr Speaker, does the Prime Minister believe that the current lobbying rules are fit for purpose? Uh, Mr. Speaker, I, I, I uh, join uh, the right honourable gentleman in, in uh, what he said about uh, Ian Gibson, and uh, I uh, uh, indeed share uh, the widespread concern about some of the stuff that we're reading at the moment, Mr. Speaker, and I, I know that the Cabinet Secretary uh, shares uh, my concern as well. I do think it is a, a good idea in principle that uh, top civil servants should be able to engage with uh, with business and should have experience of the private sector. Uh, when I look at uh, the uh, accounts I'm reading today, it's not clear that those boundaries were, uh, have been properly understood. And I've asked for a proper independent review of the arrangements that we have uh, to be conducted by uh, Nigel Baldman, and he will be uh, reporting uh, in June, and if he has any representations he wishes to make on that subject, he should do, uh, to mis do so to Mr. Boardman. OK, let's, uh, let's jump in there. There's quite a lot there. I mean, we should point out that Boris Johnson was, uh, had paid tribute to uh, Cheryl Gillen, the former Conservative Cabinet Minister who died over the weekend, the Labour MP, former Labour MP Ian Gibson, and then obviously uh, Shirley Williams too. Uh, all, both Keir Starmer and Boris Johnson wearing black uh, tie in the... Uh, uh, black ties in the House of Commons too, because obviously it's still technically in the, the period of mourning for Prince Philip. But on to the substantial uh, um, basis, uh, Keir Starmer asking a straightforward question, are the lobbying rules up to it? Uh, yeah, and Boris Johnson's very, very long answer was no, <laughs> they are not. Um, or rather, um, we've got a chap to look at it, um, which may or may not lead to a change in the rules. I mean, the big problem we've had with all of this is that David Cameron can rightly say, I didn't break the rules. The problem is the rules ain't up to much um, and everybody in Westminster knows it. Um, and it's one of those things like MPs' expenses where if the stink is big enough, something will happen about it. But uh, one has to maintain an air of suspicion about both main parties who have been up to their eyeballs in this for decades. Yeah, and part of the reason why that speech of David Cameron that keeps getting dug out, which he gave in 2010, was because of lobbying scandals involving the previous Labour government. Uh, then, yes. you know, and history just keeps the on repeating itself. The great scandal waiting to happen. And good old 
David Cameron, who failed to predict the EU referendum results, appears to have tried to <laughs> predict the lobbying scandal by getting himself involved in it. He's, yes, his reputation as Nostradamus is in, uh, better. It's much better, better, better now. Better. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, and Boris Johnson's saying he shares the widespread concern about some of the stuff we are reading about, as if he's just a, a mere innocent bystander in all of this. Well, as I say, you know, shocked, I tell you. <laughs> right, let's go back see how, uh, let's see where uh, Keir Starmer takes this. Mr Speaker, I know the Prime Minister is launching an inquiry. That inquiry isn't even looking at the lobbying rules. I'm not sure it's looking at very much at all. Because every day there's further evidence of the sleaze that's now at the heart of this Conservative government. Let's just look, you shake your heads, let's just look at the latest scandal. A wealthy businessman, Lex Greensill, was hired as a senior advisor to David Cameron when he was Prime Minister. We've all seen the business card. After he left office, he, Cameron, became a paid lobbyist for Lex Greensill. Next thing we know, Cameron arranged access for Greensill with cabinet ministers, ministers and senior officials. And he lobbied for taxpayers' money on behalf of Greensill Capital. We also know the Chancellor pushed officials. We know the Health Secretary met Cameron and Greensill. We know that senior officials met Greensill Capital regularly. And now, even more unbelievably, we know the government's former head of procurement, no less, became a Greensill advisor while he was still a civil servant. Does the Prime Minister accept there's a revolving door, indeed an open door, between his Conservative government and paid lobbyists? This is, I mean, partly that was just a restatement of the facts as we knew them. Two key things leaping out of me. The word sleaze, which all Labour MPs seem to be uh, legally bound now to use at all times, and uh, um, try to pin it on his Conservative government. This isn't just an historical thing that David Cameron got up to. It's, it's Boris Johnson's Conservative Yeah, government. exactly. He's trying to make it uh, current. Um, and that word, as you say, was uh, very significant because um, people who are older than 40 can remember... Um, uh, the last, you know, Conservative government back in the 1990s, um, and it fell apart over this concept of sleaze, people behaving badly, taking money in brown envelopes, uh, getting up to no good. Um, and if you can attach that word as leader of the opposition to the Conservative Party, uh, you will start to see some political benefits. Um, and that's what um, uh, the rest of this session is going to be all about. OK, well, let's see if Boris Johnson's got a slightly different answer to uh, the last one. Uh, Mr Speaker, this is a uh, government and a party that has been consistently tough on uh, lobbying uh, and indeed we introduced legislation uh, saying that there should be no taxpayer funded lobbying, that quangos should not be used to get involved with lobbying. Uh, we put in a register uh, for lobbyists and there's one party, Mr Speaker, that actually voted to repeal the 2014 Lobbying Act, and that was the Labour Party in their historic uh, 2019 election manifesto, which he has yet uh, to repudiate, uh, Mr Speaker. Uh, they did so because they thought it was unfair and was restricting people's ability to make representations uh, to politicians. I think that's absurd. Will he now say uh, that it's absurd to repeal the 2014 uh, Lobbying Act? I mean, we're slightly disappearing into the weeds here, aren't we? Yes, but this is interesting because uh, the, the Tory government basically stopped a whole bunch of charities and quangos 
from making political statements and uh, having a go at ministers. They did that because quite a lot of those things are what you might term left-wing or progressive, um, and they didn't want those people to have uh, input into general election campaigns. Um, and Boris Johnson is now turning around and using that as an example of how he has cracked down on lobbying. Um, what the Conservative Party has been less adept at cracking down on is lobbying involving uh, very rich businessmen who happen to give money to the Conservative Party. I mean, it's basically, I mean, it's an interesting point. It's an entirely separate point. It's separate, you had, but it's evidence had, of a plague on both your houses but you and had how a, Labour you have had their own the, um, Things like regional development agencies and that sort of thing was, were hiring lobbyists to lobby governments to give money to the South West or to Yorkshire, whatever yep. it might be. And there was this particular time of austerity that was money going around in circles and was a bit daft. Uh, which is actually an entire, entirely separate question to whether or not former prime ministers should be uh, lobbying uh, the government um, because they've got Rishi Sunak's number. Uh, right, uh, let's see if uh, Keir Starmer's going to take any responsibility for um, something that happened in 2014. Mr Speaker, he talks of the Lobbying Act. Who was it who introduced that legislation? David Cameron. Who was it who voted for the legislation? Half the Conservative front bench. We said it wouldn't be tough enough. And where did that legislation lead? Two years later, David Cameron camping out in a Saudi desert with Lex Greensill having a cup of tea. I rest my case in relation to that legislation. Let me try another very simple question. Is the Prime Minister aware of any other government official, any other government official who had commercial links with Greensill and, or any other lobbying role while working in government? Mr Speaker, or if he has any uh, such information, uh, he should, of course, make it uh, available to uh, Mr Borman. That's the point of his, uh, that's the point of his review. Uh, it's an independent review. It will be coming to me by, by June. I'm glad it will, it will be played in the, uh, in the Library of the, of the House of Commons. We're talking about lobbying, Mr Speaker. He's being advised uh, by Lord Mandelson of Global <laughs> Council Limited. Uh, perhaps in the interests of full transparency, so we can know uh, where he's coming from, Lord Mandelson could be encouraged uh, to disclose his other clients, Mr Speaker. Oh. <laughs> OK, it's got a lot going on there. Um, right, uh, first of all, I mean, there the, was almost, almost a, a, a joke there from Keir Starmer talking about David Cameron camping out for a cup of tea. With uh, Yes, with Lex Greensill and Mohammed bin Salman in the desert. You wonder, it's a bit like that Mitchell and Webb sketch, isn't it? You wonder, David Cameron, looking around <laughs> uh, with a bloke who uh, was ordering the death of journalists and a bloke called Lex, um, at what point he thought, am I one of the baddies here? <laughs> um, and then we move on from there. Well, to... We then also had a I Rest My Case, yes. which was, you know, him owning, finally, the, the role of barrister. owning the lawyer. Yes. Um, and then, and then yeah, Boris Johnson, so he asks the question, do you know of any other senior civil servants who are, who are double-jobbing? And Boris Johnson's asking, well, just let Mr Boardman know. It's not really well, this is do, the joy me. of having an inquiry, because you can constantly refer to it and say, well, there's an inquiry, old chap, and if you have any damaging information, I'd, well, I'd be delighted if you could pass it on. Um, and, and also, it's not reported until June, by which point uh, we'll hopefully have unlocked fully, uh, the local elections will have all happened... People will be so tired of this thing. Boris Johnson might hope that we'll forget. Well, if we're all not on holiday it. by then, we'll all be going to Fair Isle, where it appears to be safe. <laughs> now. Right, but let's go back. Let's see if Keir Starmer did the old trick of asking a question that he already knew the answer to. Let's see if he's actually got another official. Mr. Speaker, I haven't heard a defence that ridiculous since my last days in the Crown Court. It's, it's called the shoplifters' defence. Everyone else is nicking stuff, so why can't I? 
Oh, Mr. Speaker, it never worked. Jokes there from Keir I remind the Prime Minister, I not only prosecuted shoplifters, I prosecuted MPs over the MPs' expenses scandal. So I stand on my record. That line just isn't going to wash with me. It was a former Prime Minister, and I, I suspect now a former lobbyist, uh, who once said, this isn't a minor issue with minor consequences. Government contracts potentially worth hundreds of billions of pounds are at stake. So can the Prime Minister now answer the question the Chancellor's been ducking for weeks? How was it, how was it that Greensill Capital, a company employing David Cameron, got the green light to give hundreds of millions of pounds of taxpayer-backed loans? Uh, I mean, Mr Speaker, whilst he was prosecuting MPs, I was uh, cutting crime in London by 23% and cutting the murder rate uh, by, 20, by 50%. And, he, you know, he asks, he asks about uh, uh, lobbying on behalf of, of Greensill, uh, Mr Speaker. And, I, you know, again, I don't, want, I don't wish to embarrass the right honourable gentleman, but he doesn't have far to look. It, it was, there was one person asking for the Greensill Bank uh, to be able to use a coronavirus business interruption loan scheme, and that was the Shadow Defence Secretary, Mr Speaker. <laughs> I'm not sure that was quite the mic drop moment that Boris Johnson hoped for. He's pointing out that John Healy, who's the Shadow Defence Secretary, um, had uh, appealed for support for um, uh, Greensill because of his involvement in the steel industry. And, um, he's made the case that he was speaking up for jobs in the steel industry rather than because he'd got a $60 million uh, payout hanging on it. Um, now, now, having both of them always had, clearly had nothing to do with anything that was going on in the past, Keir Starmer's owning being a barrister um, in a high camp way, quite, I mean, yeah. You know, the um, shoplifters' defence. I'm not sure how many of his Labour colleagues are thrilled that he wants to remind the country that uh, he he prosecuted. Uh, I think only Labour MPs uh, for expense. Yes, uh, I think that's right. Uh, in the um, expense uh, scandal, I think it was only certainly only Labour MPs who went to jail. Um, uh, and, but he obviously <laughs> thinks this lawyer thing is now something to to parade. It's uh, interesting. I mean, maybe maybe he has been listening to our focus groups and we're discovering that actually people don't don't object to someone who who you know, has had a proper job. Um, no, and I remember uh, someone from the Labour side saying, you know, the most successful Labour people have been actor uh, lawyers. You had. Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, Tony Blair, they're all actor lawyers. The problem with Starmer was that he was a lawyer lawyer. Well, he seems now to be turning at least into a sort of panto lawyer today, um, which is something. Who knew? That wasn't what I expected to, to, to come across when we, um, uh, <laughs> when we started doing PMQs. Susan gets in touch saying, once again, superb analysis and sharp humour. I'm not sure if she's talking about you and I or, uh, or Keir Starmer's camp lawyer act. But anyway, if you want to get in touch, you can uh, tweet us at Times Radio. You can use the hashtag PMQs Unpacked if you want to do that. Anyway, let's go back to the House of Commons. It's weaker and weaker. It does take me back to my defence. Defence case in the Crown Court. Just ridiculous. The, sh the shadow, well, the the shadow defence secretary... The shadow... It really wasn't a good point. If you think that's a good point, you've got real problems. Um, shadow shadow defence secretary was speaking for his constituents and, and for local jobs. That is a mil that is million miles away from being a paid lobbyist texting friends in government. The Prime Minister says there's going to be an inquiry, but the person he's appointed worked for the same law firm which lobbied to loosen lobbying laws. You couldn't make it up. What we need, what we need is to overhaul the whole broken system. This afternoon, Labour's motion calls for a proper parliamentary inquiry into this scandal. If the Prime Minister is so concerned about this, he should welcome the motion. After all, to quote David Cameron, his old school friend, 
Sunlight is the best <laughs> disinfectant. So will the Prime Minister vote with Labour today for a full, transparent, independent inquiry? Let's see if he's going to stand up for his uh, Mr. Speaker, I think he would have been better off supporting the uh, lobbying act, and the Labour Party would have been uh, better off not uh, campaigning to get rid of it. It's, uh, it toughens up our, our laws, and uh, Mr. Speaker, I think that his own, his own proposal is simply to have, yet again, to have politicians marking their own homework. What the country wants, that's all it is. A committee of MPs uh, to look at it, uh, it won't do a blind bit of good. That's why we're having a proper independent review. Uh, if he has any representations or allegations to make uh, about what has taken place, he should make them uh, to the eminent uh, lawyer who's been asked to do it. He'll be reporting uh, to us uh, by June. Yes. So the one thing we have established is that Keir Stone hasn't got anything new, but he's doing a pretty good job of winding Boris Johnson up. He is, um, though I think the sort of uh, mock laughter and comedy lawyer act uh, was beginning to wear thin by, <laughs> by that question. Um, you know, a sort of unprofessional comedian. He was lacking the difficult third joke, I think yes. I'd say. Um, there was a, you know, you couldn't make it up. I mean, I think it is fair to say, I think we can predict with some confidence that Keir Starmer has been through some training uh, in the last few weeks and uh, has decided to do things slightly differently. Um, be interesting to see if it plays over. He certainly looks like he's weeks. enjoying himself more. Watching the, the feed from the House of Commons, he's, he's laughing quite. He, he, he looks more relaxed and he's thinking on his feet a lot more. Quite often, sometimes Boris Johnson has a jibe and he, he just quickly returns to his script. Was actually, this has felt more natural and... Well, Johnson's made a couple of good points, but they ran out some time ago, and Starmer's still got a bit more to work with here, hasn't he? So, uh, exactly, and so yeah, he's he's. He, I mean, he, he had quite a lot of material to work with, but he's doing a pretty good job of doing it. Let's go back to the uh, House of Commons. I think Keir Starmer's last question. Mr. Speaker, the Prime Minister should be voting with us, not blocking a proper inquiry. The Greensill scandal is just the tip of the iceberg. Dodgy contracts, privileged access, jobs for their mates. This is the return of Tory sleaze. Mr Speaker, it's now so ingrained in this Conservative government, we don't need another Conservative Party appointee marking their own homework. Actually, Mr Speaker, the more I listen to the Prime Minister, the more I think that Ted Hastings and AC12 are needed to get to the bottom of this one. Mr Speaker, we know the Prime Minister will not act against sleaze, but this House can. So can I urge all members of this House to come together this afternoon to back Labour's motion and start to clean up the sleaze and cronyism that's at the heart of this Conservative government. Prime Minister. Well, but let's, we're still wheeling from the AC12 joke um, uh, uh, <laughs> from line of duty. I mean, clearly, what Keir Starmer has done, which sometimes he's, he's slightly missed on this, is he's mounted the argument and then we got the clip for the telly. You get a proper soundbite. You know, this is the return of Tory sleaze. That's all that Labour wants, is for people to go away from uh, this session with that in their heads. And, and the focus groups I've listened to over the last few months, all that stuff about PPE contracts for people they know, all of that was cutting through in quite... Quite a, quite a big way, actually, um, uh, even when Labour were not particularly labouring the point. Um, most people are not following the intricacies of Lex Greensill and all, the, all that. What they've got, if they're paying a little bit of attention, is that um, something doesn't smell right with the Conservative Party again. And, and if Starmer can get that in people's heads, he'll have had a pretty successful day. Well, let's see if uh, Boris Johnson has got a, a line of duty joke to round things off. 
Mr Speaker, that's why we're putting in an, uh, an independent uh, review. Uh, that's why we have tougher laws on, on lobbying. A great shame uh, that Labour opposed them. Uh, Mr Speaker, yes, we are getting on with rooting out bent coppers, Mr Speaker. Uh, we're, also, we're also appointing and hiring thousands more police officers. Mr. Speaker, we're fighting crime. We're fighting crime on the streets of, uh, of our cities. Uh, whilst they opposed the police and crime bill, which would have put in tougher sentences for serious sexual and violent offenders. Absolutely. And they then encouraged people who went out and demonstrated, uh, uh, Mr. Speaker, to kill the bill. Uh, we're getting on with protecting the public. Uh, that's absolutely correct, Mr. Speaker. We're getting on with protecting the public of this country from crime of all kinds. Uh, we're getting on with the job of running this country, of rolling out a vaccination programme. Or, 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 order. Prime Minister, I think we ought to at least try and address the question. Dean Russell. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, and there, there a... we are. That's, that's Boris Johnson cut off in his prime. I, I think... <laughs> well, prime is generous. I mean, <laughs> you've got to give Boris Johnson some credit. That he hears the word police and thinks, aha, I can say something about the police. Think, We've it, got more of them and we, they're fighting crime. We are and... cracking down on, on bent coppers. Yeah. Um, and, uh, he then, and then he sort of somehow managed to lump it all in his crime of all kinds. Um, I'm not quite sure if anyone has suggested that crimes have been committed in the lobbying scandal. It was a bit that, um, you know, Keir Starmer makes a police joke and Boris Johnson does control out police yes. and just starts firing out everything he can think of uh, to do with police. Gravura. I mean, you know, he had a good point on Peter Mandelson and he had a good point um, uh, about, um, uh, arguably a point about um, Labour and, and the lobbying bill, but uh, they, those were all done by question two and it's been, uh, you know, if he managed to score draw on those two questions, um, it's pretty much... You know, 4-1. And politically, what this does to try and separate Boris Johnson from some of those voters who delivered him uh, his majority in 2019, particularly, and it's, you know, it's all a cliche, but, you know, northern seats, red wall seats, somehow feeling they had more in common with the old Etonian than they did anyone else. Casting them all as dodgy Tories, up to the neck in it, sleaze, cronyism, just like David Cameron, just like all the others... There's a, there's a real political point. It's not just that people might think, oh, uh, I'll go Labour because Keir Starmer's doing a good job on this, but it, it's really trying to tarnish the Tory brand in a way that, that Boris Johnson has been quite successful in, in separating himself from it. Totally. And, and to be honest, the Tory brand has always been a little bit dodge. Um, it's Boris Johnson's personal brand that has saved him um, because people think he's a bit, of a bit of a rogue, but they understand where he's coming from. Um, and fundamentally... There's a sort of sense from some of those working class leave communities that voted for him that, you know, he is a bit different from, uh, uh, he's a different sort of Etonian. Um, so there's a limit probably to how much Starmer can pin this on Johnson himself. Um, but if you can damage the Tory brand uh, uh, as well, um, you've, you know, you're putting yourself back in play in a bunch of seats that, you know, appear to have shifted uh, against the Labour Party in the last few years. And they just needed something, you know, with the vaccine uh, rollout going so well, the vaccine bounce in the polls, they needed something to try and sort of uh, not electrify the, the electorate, but try, try to get the electorate to, to engage a bit more. Maybe this is it. Maybe just spending between now and May the 6th. You know, there were elections in local councils, mayoral elections, uh, obviously the Hartlepool by-election, um, uh, just just hammering away at this for the next few weeks might not do the Labour Party any harm. No, it might not, and they've sort of stumbled across it a little bit. Um, you know, um, the Sunday Times and the F Financial Times particularly have been hammering away at this for several weeks now, and it's only really caught fire uh, in the last few days um, when we got emails um, 
showing that Cameron was lobbying Downing Street directly and that things were changing and people were doing uh, doing things differently. Um, and now, you know, it's it's got a bit of uh, petrol has been thrown on it um, and it's beginning to gather a life of its own, like, you know, like a good political scandal does. Um, and it's, you know, there's a lot there for, for Starmer to have a go at. And, you know, I mean, he has had good sessions over the last uh, year, um, but I think we both agreed last week last time was probably as good an outing as he's had and and I think this one was up there with it I mean in terms of back to back I can't remember two in a row that 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 were better from Starmer and just yeah maybe maybe there is some maybe we need to try and find that out if there has been some training because just just tonally he seemed more relaxed he was cracking jokes off the cuff he then did also slightly repeat jokes off the cuff but we'll, we'll forgive him that and give it a few weeks if he had a load of Labour MPs sitting behind him uh, as opposed to the you know half a dozen or whatever it is because of the the um, social distancing rules, that could make quite a big difference. That would have it? been a bear pit in there today, and Boris Johnson would not you know e- even his already um, slightly excitable hair would have been standing very much on end, wouldn't it? I think I think it could could well have been right, and I think the uh, the the way that it can change the mood in the party. The, you know, only a week or so ago, we were lots of stories around Labour MPs, shadow ministers getting cross with Keir Starmer. How was he letting it all slip away? That that felt like the sort of PMQs where you could possibly shift the mood. And that's what PMQs is all about. Lots of people sometimes criticise the commentary of PMQs in the media as being, oh, it's all a soap opera. Um, it's it's very seldom about making a precise point and, uh, you know, forcing the other guy to concede something. It is about uh, making your troops happy with your performance and about making the other troops on the other side of the uh, of the house uh, think that their bloke is on some dodgy ground and not handling it terribly well. That's what it's about. It's it's it is it is a sort of Roman style bear pit, um, and you know that's precisely why um, it is treated as such by most of the media. And you know um, I think you can tell from our voices we've been analysing a lot of very serious points over the last few months, but the last two sessions have been a proper bit of political theatre, and and it's good to have it back. Yeah, and from Keir Starmer's point of view, if it achieves nothing apart from stopping. Shadow ministers speaking to you and I off the record about him being a bit rubbish. That's you know, that is uh, that is job done. Um, I remember you know people always say, oh, but William Hague was always very good at PMQs and he still lost the election, but he did manage to boy up Tory MPs for half an hour once a week. Yeah, and you know, there's a, you lose your job if you don't do that, um, as Ian Duncan Smith discovered after two, year, <laughs> two miserable years as leader of the opposition. Yeah, it's, it doesn't always know. it doesn't always pan out quite right. Uh, well, there we are. Uh, Keir Starmer cracking jokes. Uh, Boris Johnson um, talking about bent coppers. Uh, who who could have expected that when we kicked off PMQs uh, this week? Uh, Tim Shipman, please go to the Sunday Times. Thanks very much uh, for joining us. Well, that's it for this episode of Red Box. Uh, if you've enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. Maybe even leave us a rating because it helps with the mumbo-jumbo charts. We release an episode every day, Monday to Thursday, featuring the best bits of my Times radio show. You can listen to the whole thing uh, Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. It's available on DAB, online, via Smart Speaker or on the Times radio app. And if you want to read more about all of the stories that we've been discussing, then go to times.radio forward slash subscribe. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.